Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So I'm going to bring back one of these things that, that so many people had as kids. Did you ever have a pair of Reebok pumps? You remember these shoes, right? Yeah. No, I, I didn't. I, I was always super envious of the kids who had them. Like, it was just so intimidating to see them, uh, like, pump up their kicks before walking onto the court. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I felt pretty <laughs> cool. I would always, like, pump up mine before I did, before I did anything, really. I felt like I just could do anything better. But it was pretty funny because Reebok really leaned into that spirit as well. So Air Jordans were the big rival shoe at the time. And Uh one of those commercials, they had Dominique Wilkins just taunting Michael Jordan. And so what he says is, Michael, my man, if you want to fly first class, pump up and air out. (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't even know what air out means. (laughs) Yeah, but it's good, right? It's a great, I have no idea what it means either. There There were lots of these trash talking commercials apparently. And for all of our younger listeners that are out there that have never seen a pair of these Reebok pumps, it's worth looking up some of the videos. They were so ridiculous. But anyway, Reebok actually took it one step too far with all the trash talking. And I really don't remember this, but I was just reading about it recently. But one of the big selling points about the pump was that no one's feet are shaped exactly the same. So if you pump up your shoes, the pumps are supposed to give each of your feet this perfectly snug fit. And so to sell that idea to kids, they made this commercial with these two bungee jumpers jumping off a bridge at the same time. You can see that this is not going anywhere good and why they thought this is the way to sell their shoes. I'm not sure. Well, anyway. One of them ties the cord to his Reeboks and pumps them up before the, you know, before they <laughs> jump so that they're really secure around his feet. And the other guy is just in some ordinary Nikes. And so the commercial shows both dudes leaping off. But then they show the bungee cords bouncing back. And the guy on the Reeboks is, of course, just happily dangling by his tight-fitting <laughs> shoes in the frame there. So I'm almost afraid to ask, like, what happened to the other cord? Well, it's just a pair of Nikes with no guy in them. And the, <laughs> the announcer gleefully says, it fits a little better than your ordinary athletic shoe. Oh, that's so morbid. Yeah, and it only aired once before parents complained about it. And that, of course, is not at all surprising. But today's show is all about shoes. From strange shoe patents to a Japanese god of running shoes, 
to, of course, why Kevin Durant can't seem to keep his shoes on. So let's dig in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangash Hot Ticketer. And sitting behind the soundproof glass, admiring the goldfish and his fish tank platform shoes. I have to be honest, <laughs> Mangash, I, you know, I've seen these in movies. I've uh-huh. actually never seen one in person, but right there, that's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. But those aren't real fish in those disco shoes, are they? No, I mean, for all you animal lovers out there, I'm glad you decided to clarify this, Mango. <laughs> These are goldfish crackers that Tristan loves to store in the heel of his shoe. I mean, He's that's pretty handy. He really is. <laughs> but somehow this guy pulls it off just like he does everything week after week. So, Mango, I know today's show is kind of all over the place. I mean, we, we've got a ton of weird stories about shoes, but I don't know. Where, where do you think we should start? Um, how about with tennis? So I, I was watching the French Open this weekend, just watching Nadal dominate. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I started looking up tennis facts, as I do. And I, I found this strange story about the first gold medal winner in the Olympics and how he was kind of an accidental champion. All right. So I need you to explain this. So, so what do you mean, accidental? So this story is from the 1890s and 1896 specifically. And there's this guy, his name's John Pius Boland, who was touring Europe with his college buddies. Basically, he befriended a Greek student at school who was trying to, I guess, help revive the Olympics. And he told Bolin, if you're coming through Greece, you should absolutely come and watch. I mean, this is going to be the first modern Olympics. So uh, so Bolin and his pals decided to turn this whole visit into a road trip. Like, they drank tons of beer in Germany. They saw concerts in Vienna. They caught some plays along the way. They they drank a ton of wine. I mean, this is all journaled about by uh, Boland. But, hmm. and, and then they finally make it to Greece. But when they get to Athens, like his friend tells him, you know, not a lot of people have entered the tennis competition. In fact, there were only like 13 people playing. So he asked Bolin, like, why don't you join in? And he could just do that? Like, you could just walk up and enter the Olympics? I feel like maybe it doesn't work that way today. (laughs) I don't think it works that way today. But, I mean, this was the first modern game. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess you just had to kind of know someone. And and Boland wasn't actually that good an athlete. Like, he played some tennis growing up, but he didn't really distinguish himself in the sport or in sports in general. Hmm. Also, he, he actually hadn't brought any equipment with him. So he didn't have, like, sports clothes or shoes or a tennis racket. But... You know, his friend convinced him it'd be fun, so he entered on a lark, and he borrowed a racket and some clothes. But here's the weird thing, right? Like, the one thing he couldn't find in Greece at the time was tennis shoes. Like, he raced around the markets and shoe shops and just tried to locate a pair, but no one in Athens was selling tennis shoes. So he actually decided to play in the one pair of shoes he had brought with him, which were these leather dress shoes with super thick heels. I mean, that seems like a recipe for a disaster, but I'm guessing you wouldn't be telling this story unless this had worked. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, he won his first game and then a second, and and then he just couldn't stop winning. And, you know, tennis is one of those sports where it really helps to have good instruction. Yeah. And, and Boland had played enough as a kid that he just pushed people around on the court. So I'm pretty sure he was minimizing his running, but still, he ended up being the first Olympic tennis champ. And it's actually kind of crazy. He took gold in the singles event, but then he also decided to play doubles. So he was randomly assigned a partner, and they won the doubles competition too. So yeah, actually, he's the first Olympic tennis player to win both singles and doubles. And he did it all in these fancy, uncomfortable, high-heeled shoes. 
I mean, I love that he just walked onto the court and then walked away a champion. That's just, uh, <laughs> that's nuts. All right, well, speaking of the Olympics, I was watching this BBC show on Jesse Owens, you know, who's obviously a phenomenal athlete, mm-hmm. and he won four gold medals at Hitler's Olympics. And as ESPN put it, he single-handedly crushed Hitler's myth of Aryan supremacy. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a huge sports legend, but I feel like I read somewhere that he was actually disappointed when he came back to the States because, you know, for all the fanfare, he still had to ride on the back of buses, and he wasn't even invited to the White House to celebrate when he returned. Yeah, and he didn't really speak up much about this because that that just kind of wasn't his style, but he was definitely hurt by it. And, and of course, how could you not be? Sure. He was honored at the Waldorf Astoria but had to take the freight elevator to the event because he wasn't allowed to ride the main elevator. And he couldn't make money with endorsements or speaking tours, so he had to perform these spectacles, like things like, you know, racing against horses on tracks, which, of course, he found humiliating, but he had to do this to put food on the table. That's pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, I actually feel like we should do a whole episode on him in the future because there are all sorts of fascinating things about Jesse Owens. You know, starting with the fact that he was this super sickly kid. Really? I read that he, you know, he has had bronchitis and pneumonia as a kid. And, huh. and actually, his name is really JC. It's short for James Cleveland. But when he was a kid, a teacher misunderstood his drawl, and he just got called Jesse his entire life. <laughs> that can't be true. It is. But anyway, but back to what I was talking about. So this BBC series tried to determine how good Jesse Owens would be in the modern era. So they took the 2016 bronze medalist, Andre de Grasse, who's basically Owens' same height and a very similar build, and they put de Grasse in the same conditions that Owens faced. So I'm guessing they put him in a stadium full of Nazis? No. <laughs> fortunately, I think it would be hard to come by that many Nazis. So no, that is not what they did. So Owens ran the 100-meter dash in 10.3 seconds. And de Grasse won the bronze in the modern era with a 9.91. But the challenge was, what if you took away all the modern advances for de Grasse? So they put him on a packed dirt track, and they took away the starting blocks and just used a little trowel to put some divots in the ground. But the biggest change was that they rebuilt the shoes Jesse Owens wore at the time, which would have been super stiff, much heavier, and then they had him race. So how did DeGrasse do? It was pretty rough, although, I mean, to be honest, it was still fast. I mean, he ran it in 11 seconds, but that's 0.7 seconds slower than Jesse Owens. DeGrasse said it was the most tired he'd ever been on the track. And with those shoes against that type of track, it really made him work that much harder. Yeah, I mean, I I don't always think about how much shoe technology has changed over the years and how light shoes actually are today. Like, I kind of just take it for granted. So, you know, Owens was probably a little faster than DeGrasse, at least on that day. But do you have any sense of how good Owens would be in the modern era? Yeah, there was actually a TED Talk that if you just look at the times, Owens would have been, I think it was like 14 feet behind Usain Bolt. And of course, Usain Bolt was just unbelievable as a runner, still is. But if you actually analyze Owens' body mechanics and look at the speed of Owens' joints and how fast they're moving, if you put him on the same surface as Usain Bolt, he would have actually been within, really within like a stride of Bolt, which is is, is incredible to think about. That's unbelievable. And you don't even think about like the training and technology that, like all that stuff, that uh, nutrition that Bolt must have received. Um, you, You know, one thing, and this is totally separate topic, but 
this is something I rarely think about, is how creepy the word sneakers is. I'm glad that this is something you rarely (laughs) think about, Nango. So why is it a creepy word exactly? Oh, the sneaking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm guessing most people know this, but the name comes from when shoe manufacturers stopped using these hard soles on shoes and they started replacing them with rubber, Uh which allowed people to sneak around or even slink away without making a scene or clomping about, I guess. I actually did not know that. That's But it makes sense when you're saying that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is a little creepy. You're right. (laughs) So I, I was looking at that site uh, today, I found out, and they had all these early quotes about sneakers from the 1860s and 70s, you know, when they first became popular. Like, here's a description from 1862 in a prison. So, the night officer is generally accustomed to wear a species of India rubber shoes on her feet. These are termed sneaks by the women at Brixton Prison. So, obviously, the criminals here didn't love them because the people in authority could sneak up on them Mm -hmm. when they were doing these illicit things. Yeah. And here's another one. So, it is only the harassed schoolmaster who can fully appreciate the pertinency of the name boys give to a tennis shoe, sneakers. I mean, it is kind of strange that this is the name that took off. I mean, it feels like sneakers were either snitches or people who were up to no good, and these shoes only aided them in these you know, very unpopular efforts, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a little disconcerting, but not nearly as weird as some of these other crime-eating shoes I found online. Oh, yeah, I knew you would do some digging for this <laughs> one, so uh, so tell me about some of them. So there are all these amazing shoes I found that may or may not help you commit crimes, but I like to think they do. So yeah. there's one we've talked about, and it's from Prohibition, and it's that moonshiners used to have these shoes that had deer hoof or cow hoof soles, so they'd leave these animal prints instead of tread marks when you were running through the woods. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I do vaguely remember us talking about that. Yeah, but those weren't the only trick shoes around. Like, there were these others available where you could flip the direction of the sole underneath. Hmm. So you'd actually run in one direction, but anyone following you would think that the tracks were going the other way. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> that I would think that would be kind of confusing to look down at your own tracks, but anyway. <laughs> well, all these tactics kind of remind me of this Night Rider episode I watched as a kid. And there, there was this criminal. He's trying to get away from the cops, and he drives his car into a car wash. You, you probably saw this episode. You, you never really watched Night Rider, did you? Well, Anyway, the warm water changes the color of the car from orange to purple. And this is all while he's in the drive-thru. And so you actually then see that his license plate is also on this rotating wheel that can be flipped to a different license. So then the cops are racing past and the criminal's able to just roll out of this car wash. He's got a different colored car, different license plate. And I remember watching this and thinking like, why haven't all bank robbers and getaway drivers started using this kind of technology? It just seems that simple. I know. I guess not enough of them were watching Night Rider. Probably not. But uh, I, I think you cut me off. So there are all sorts of other criminal shoes out there, too. There are these uh, parachute shoes that were invented in 1876. <laughs> and they were initially designed for escaping fires. Basically, it's a patent on a heavily cushioned shoe that you accessorize with this tiny parachute hat. And the way it works is that when you have to jump out of a building, the parachute unfurls from the hat on your head, and it's intended to slow your fall. But the heavily cushioned shoes compress on landing, so the jump is easy on your knees. Huh. I like it, but but why is that a criminal shoe? I mean, it was designed for good, obviously, but you can see how it would be useful if you're robbing a bank or jumping from a tall building, yeah. and it would just be a smart way to escape. I also found this patent from uh, 1971 for a gun shoe, <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> if that parachute shoe feels a little like Inspector Gadget, this is straight James Bond, but it just looks like a nice pair of Oxfords, but it can actually shoot projectiles and even tear gas. Wow. You know what I'd love to see, like, 
maybe GQ or one of those types of magazines doing a spread of five shoes that every criminal should own this season. Can't you just picture that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that'd be so great. But I've got to say, the creepiest shoe I found wasn't even one for criminals. It was this 2002 patent for a foot-powered neck massaging shoe. I love that there's a patent for something like this, but I actually have no idea what that really <laughs> means. What, what, what are you describing? Yeah, it's super weird. B- basically, the shoes have these tubes that come up from the heels of your shoes and attach to this rubber hand that just rests on the back of your neck. So every time you step forward, the compressed air forces this rubber hand to squeeze, and then as your foot goes up, it releases. So hmm. basically, it's supposed to be this walking massage I'd really love to see that shoe take off. I don't know. I wouldn't hold your breath on that one. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, there's a bunch more shoes that I want to talk about. I, I do want to talk about Japanese running shoes and Kevin Durant's sneaker problem, and of course the unusual way Kenneth Colt built his business. But before we get to any of those stories, let's take a quick break. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius, where we're talking shoes. So, Will, I I think you were going to tell us a little bit about this uh, Japanese shoemaker who's kind of the Yoda of marathon shoes. But Mm -hmm. before we get into that, can I tell you a little bit about a shoe brand name that's been very problematic, at least here in the States? Sure. What is it? Atheist Shoes. Oh, I could see how that might be problematic, <laughs> but I, honestly, I've actually never heard of these. Yeah, I mean, of course you haven't, because, like, we live in the South. Right. and uh, Our shoes are very, very <laughs> religious. <laughs> so, Atheist is this super stylish German shoemaker that produces these minimalist shoes under the label Atheist, and also, the soles of the shoes read, um, Ich bin ein Atheist, <laughs> and super big letters, so everyone knows. Anyway, they made a splash in Germany, and they started getting some attention abroad, and then the company started getting complaints from customers in the U.S. that the shoes were taking too long to get to them. And sometimes the packages weren't even arriving. So what was happening? Did they know? 
Um, well, atheists had no idea, right? But some of the customers had this theory that maybe it was the name atheist that was being stamped on the yeah. packages. So the company actually ran this little experiment. They sent out 178 packages to people in 49 states. And to every address, they sent two pairs of shoes, one in a package that was branded atheist and another that was just totally plain packaging. And so what, what happened? I mean, the results were pretty shocking. So all the shoes left Berlin on exactly the same day. But the atheist brand shoes that actually arrived took three days longer on average to get to people. And one package in Michigan actually got there 38 days after all the other packages. All right, so I noticed you said all the ones that arrived. So did some of these also get lost? Yeah, I mean, nine atheist packages went completely missing. And the company basically concluded that the USPS was biased against atheists. Hmm. So the company switched to shipping their shoes in unbranded packaging. And as they reassured their customers in a press release, they wrote, Our delivery times are already improving, so order and confidence are godless American friends. <laughs> so strange. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on from a name you don't want on your shoes to one that you definitely do, I want to talk a little bit about Hitoshi Mimura, and he's sometimes referred to as the god of shoes. So Mimura worked for years at Asics as a master shoe craftsman, and he had a ton of success kind of reimagining what running shoes could be. And then he was forced out because of the mandatory retirement ages in Japan. So he decided to strike out on his own. He started doing consulting for a bunch of different shoe companies, one of them, Adidas, or I don't know if you've ever been corrected on this from someone who actually works there, Adidas, Adidas. I think it's the, one, <laughs> the way you pronounce it, and then for New Balance. But he also began flourishing with this bespoke shoe company that he launched. And as he told the New York Times, a samurai cannot fight without his swords. It is the same for runners and their shoes. Which sounds both very Japanese and also artisanal. Like yeah. He takes a ton of pride in his work, but... How do these, like, custom shoes work? Well, they're incredibly custom. Like, there's this profile at High where he describes his process, and here's how elaborate it is. So he says, I take 13 measurements of the foot. Each foot has to be measured separately. I only trust hand measuring. Currently, each shoe takes about three weeks to make, mainly due to determining which materials to use. For world championships or Olympics, I check the course once or twice. I went to Beijing three times. Wow. And so whatever high-profile race you're running, he actually takes that into account. Elite runners refer to them as magic shoes. One marathon winner sleeps with her shoes next to her pillow before big races. I mean, people are crazy for these things. That's pretty incredible. So I, I don't know much about running, but I, I'm guessing in different weather conditions like rain or whatever, you might want something like different treads. But why does where a race is taking place actually matter for a custom shoe? Well, part of the reason these shoes are loved so much is that Mamura takes everything in consideration. He truly believes that for a marathon runner to become a champion, they have to believe in their shoes. Hmm. And he adjusts them for all sorts of conditions. Like, he actually uses rice husk grains in his shoes. And it's crazy because when the grain gets dislodged, the shoe's sole ends up with this tiny little hole that's supposed to create... I guess, like, a little bit of suction, and then that grips a wet surface even better. Wow. And he picked up on this idea from some technology that was being used in Japanese tires. And so he also thinks a lot about how your foot dissipates heat. So he uses different types of uppers on the shoes to increase that ventilation. And for the Beijing games, he made these shoes that worked for a slightly harder concrete, but also somehow resisted dust, which could irritate a runner's feet. I don't know exactly how that works, <laughs> but I was reading about that, and it sounded interesting and very detailed in that he thinks about all these things. But he takes into consideration other things as well, because marathon runners tend to pour water on their heads. He decided to 
engineer this inner soul that wicked moisture from sweat and that water and and then it somehow cools your feet in the process. Oh, like wow. this guy is a total <laughs> genius and thinks about everything. So I'm guessing everyone wants a pair, right? Well, yes and no. I mean, you've got other shoe companies that have their own gurus and different athletes want different things. But there's certainly a band of marathon champions who are Mamura loyalists. And actually, there's this great story from the Times where he tried to convince this former marathon champion to use shoes with different size soles. And he did this because her legs were actually a little bit uneven. Hmm. But I think she tried that kind of thing before and she responded to him and said, absolutely not. But Mamura thought he knew better. So what he did was he crafted her a pair of uneven shoes to even out her legs, but he didn't tell her that he'd done this. I mean, this is pretty risky. Yeah. And so what he did was he then writes this resignation letter because if she lost the race, it would be this great dishonor and he'd have to fess up, quit the shoe business, probably leave the business entirely. Wow. So she won, I'm guessing. Of course she won. I mean, you one, <laughs> one rule that I've learned in all this research is you don't doubt a shoe god. And so he actually still keeps this letter on his desk. Oh, that's great. So it, it is funny how much shoes have changed over the years. Like, it's unimaginable if you think about the earliest rubber shoes that didn't even come in, like, left and right shapes. Like, you just had one shoe that fit both feet. And then over the years, you get these shoes that are more and more snug, right? Like like you get the Reebok Pump, which we talked about, which admitted in its campaigns that your feet aren't the same, and you might actually need more pumps for one side than the other. Memora is clearly measuring both feet, and I, I think that's part of what makes the promise of 3D printing so amazing. Yeah. Like, it, it's that shoes won't just be custom fit for your body, but... Also, if you're an athlete or worker, for your very specific needs and yeah. how you work, right? It makes sense, yeah. So I, I read about this guy at the Royal College of Art in London, and he's building these custom-fitting sprinting shoes that weigh just 96 grams. And the hope is that they'll actually maximize a runner's particular strengths. Like, they're so personalized that they're built to have you get to your top speeds. And it's exactly that same idea, but also totally contrary to Memora's, like, handcrafted and also measured style. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is that even when companies make shoes that are specific to a player's very specific style, it doesn't always work. I mean, I've I've teased this, I guess, twice now, but, you know, you got to take Kevin Durant, for instance. <laughs> but to be clear, Durant loves his shoes, right? I'm not ready to talk about it. That's my third <laughs> tease. That, no, okay, we, we will talk about it. But, but definitely, he loves his shoes, but the big problem with them is that they slip off all the time. Like, if you'd watched any of the basketball playoffs this year, you would see this happening over and over. And 538 did this amazing analysis of his shoes. And they seem to fall off more than any other players. So sometimes they'll come off twice in a game. I think on average he loses a shoe once every eight games, I believe it is. <laughs> There's even a manager who used to make it his job to run on the court and run the errant shoe to the sideline. I don't know why <laughs> this was such an emergency. I guess he doesn't want any other players playing keep away with Durant's shoes. or I'm not really sure what the issue is. But the funny thing is that there's all these theories and speculation as to why these things fall off so much. Because in all his games in high school, his shoes actually never came off. That's crazy. So what are some of these theories? Well, one is that it's just his feet. So Durant has these super skinny and flat feet, and people describe them as being like blades on a hockey stick. So, <laughs> you know, they're so skinny, he often has to wear two pairs of socks. I mean, while some people blame the shoes that he helped design, like he likes to be able to slip his foot in without tying. So, you know, there's no tongue in some of the models of these shoes. And a looser top lace, and that that kind of helps him get his feet in more easily. And all this comes in handy when the shoes go flying. But, you know, Nike's a sophisticated company. I'm sure they've factored all that in, right? Like, like they wouldn't design a loose shoe, and they'd certainly measure and take into account his narrow feet, right? 
I mean, of course they did. They're very conscious of keeping Durant in his shoes, and it's it's better for their marketing, of course. But there's another theory that it's because Durant is one of the few players who likes his shoes worn in. So you'll see a lot of these NBA players that get fresh shoes for every single game. Can you imagine? I mean, that is so many huh. pairs of shoes. Some of them will actually change pairs multiple times in, like, these really big playoff games. I mean, that's insane considering how many games the NBA plays, right? Yeah. But I'm sure some of that has to be mental, right? Like, like you, if you can blame the shoe and then switch them out, I'm sure you can change your mindset about the game. I mean, that's part of it, but, you know, some players swear the grip is just that much better or the new shoes work harder for them. But according to 538, Durant only changes his shoes three or four times per season. Wow. And he actually practices in those same shoes. I would imagine they would get really, really worn out as much as he's playing. (laughs) Yeah. And he plays hard, obviously. Um, You know, I I read this fact about the queen that she employs someone to break in all her shoes for her before (laughs) she wears them, which is kind of funny. Like, you wouldn't expect the queen to have someone else's feet in her shoes. Maybe it's Durant. Maybe that's what these are. (laughs) Maybe he's testing out her shoes and then passing them along, wearing them in. (laughs) So did the sports writer ever, like solve this question of what was happening with Durant's shoes? Like, what, what was the mystery? Yeah, I know I ran you through all of those theories. It turns out it's actually none of those things. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's pretty simple. He likes playing in loose shoes, so he started wearing them a size bigger than what he had been wearing. And I guess Durant feels like he's already super skinny and tall, and he doesn't like wearing anything tight because he feels more aerodynamic when he isn't restricted. So it's really just that he's more comfortable in these bigger shoes. But here's the weirdest part about this whole story, and that's that Duran is actually better at basketball when he's lost a shoe. That that may be a little (laughs) bit of a stretch, but the statistics are pretty amusing. Uh, I don't know. I guess his focus goes into overdrive. Here's how 538 puts it. They said he's averaged 114 points per 100 possessions when occupying the court without a shoe, (laughs) which is more than triple the 36 points per 100 possessions he posted in the past season. I mean, he basically shoots 75% when he's only wearing one sneaker. (laughs) I mean, I'd love to see him play a full game in one shoe just to test this theory out. It's pretty incredible. Anyway, I, I still want to talk about Kenneth Cole and how he started his shoe business. But before we get to that, let's take a little break. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant 
Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius, where we're talking shoes. All right, Mango, you were going to tell us about Kenneth Cole. I know you found a great origin story of how his brand really got started in New York. That's right. And I, I feel like there's so many great business stories that are inspiring because you realize just how hard people had to hustle to make their dreams come true, right? Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I was listening to how I built this over the weekend, and I, I heard this episode about FUBU, which was incredible, and how uh, Damon John learned to look at PL sheets. Hmm. It was by waiting tables at Red Lobster. Like, he learned business by observing managers and, and the public information that the company was putting out. And, and just by studying it, it's pretty incredible. But he, there's also this incredible part where he's way behind on his payments. And he managed to get Samsung as his investor for the brand by placing a classified ad in the newspaper. What? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like, his mom came up with the idea. They spent $2,000 on classified ads. And then... um. Like, 40 people wrote in, and and one of them happened to be Samsung. Isn't that insane? <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, so obviously, like, now he's on Shark Tank, but there's just so many good entrepreneur stories, and Kenneth Cole is definitely one of them. So back in 1982, a young Kenneth Cole decided he wanted to start a shoe company. So he got a hold of, like, a bunch of leather. He made um 40,000 pairs of shoes, right? He really worked on this. But he didn't exactly know where he was going to go from there. He tried uh, renting a space in Manhattan, but that was too expensive. And and then he heard about this big fashion show called Market Week, where you buy boots and exhibit in one of thousands of rooms in uh, in some big midtown hotel. I like that to get started, he made 40,000 pairs of shoes, and then he was like, oh, I don't exactly know where to go from here. <laughs> but yeah, you were saying he went to Market Week, which I'm guessing is like, I've never been to that, but we've been to things like Toy Fair, yeah. which are these just huge, chaotic things. and And it's really hard to stand out in a place like that. Yeah, and I mean, that's always the hope, right? Like all these small entrepreneurs go there thinking they could stand out because their product's that good, and he has 40,000 products, but it ends up the boots are too expensive for him. So then he starts thinking out of the box. He borrows a friend's truck. It's like this massive truck with a 40-foot trailer, Hmm. and he thinks, I'll just get a vending license and sell my shoes right outside the Hilton where everyone's exhibiting. But then when he went downtown to get a license, not only was that too expensive, he realized that they weren't letting vendors anywhere close to the exhibition. And in fact, they were only letting utility companies and film production crews get closer. So he registered as a film company, Hmm. and he claimed he was filming this movie called uh, Birth of a Shoe Company. (laughs) He borrowed a bunch of cameras. Many of them never had film in them. He, uh, He hired some fake directors. He got people to model the shoes and sell them for the shoot. And there were salespeople, obviously, but he called them actors. And he set up right outside the hotel. And in two and a half days, he sold out his entire inventory. And that left him with enough cash that he was ready to start his business. That is incredible. I love the dedication to that, like just how determined this guy was to sell these shoes. That That's really incredible. Yeah, I mean, he obviously got like massive buzz off this, a lot of cash. But the best part is that the company is still called Kenneth Cole Productions Incorporated. Really? Yeah, I mean, that's the name he had to use to get his fake film permit, to shoot his fake film, to start a very real business. Yeah, I'd say that's, that's pretty great. All right, well, we're running out of time, I know, but we, we definitely need to do a follow-up with more focus on like great stories of how to hack your ballet shoes and 
why high heels are terrible for budget grocery shopping and other things like this that I know we we did come up with in, in some of our research, but that'll be great for before another episode. But anyway, before we take this home with a fact off, I did want to mention a pair of shoes that somebody invented back in 2012. This was a British designer named Dominique Wilcox, invented a pair of shoes inspired by the Wizard of Oz. And so when you click the heels together, the GPS in the shoe actually guides you home. <laughs> I love that, but how does it actually work? So they look like dress shoes, and they have, you know, these red soles in them. That's, of course, to honor Dorothy. But Mm -hmm. once you click your heels together, the little holes in the front, those beautifully decorated designs you see on wingtips, they light up. And so the lights show you which directions to turn. Like if you have to take a left on a road, a strip of lights that will, you know, kind of face left, they might start blinking at you. And then the number of lights actually decreases as you get closer and closer to your next turn. And it's it's pretty ingenious. And when the GPS function is off, they just look like these beautiful classic shoes. I love that. But, you know, I, I hope you have more of where that comes from because the fact off is about to get heated. And also, I, I do wish I had some Reeboks here so I could pump them up right I'm now. I'm going to get mine out. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever heard of a gym shoe sandwich? You know, I'm guessing this doesn't involve a real shoe, but no, I haven't. So what are they? <laughs> yeah, it's nothing like uh, that time Werner Herzog lost a bet and chowed down on a shoe. Right. But, uh, apparently, it's a Chicago Southside thing where you take this hearty Italian sub roll or some thick bread, and, and then you shove in a bunch of Greek gyro meat and a ton of roast beef, which I guess is English or French, and, and corned beef as well, which is Irish oh. and, or, or Jewish. And, and then, of course, there's a, a ton of Greek yogurt sauce, lettuce, tomatoes, sometimes Swiss cheese, onions, hot and sweet peppers. It's like a thick uh, meat That's a big sub. sandwich, yeah. yeah but it ends up being so massive. And also, I guess, this delicious homage to all the immigrant groups that settled the area. But it's also really, really hard to chew and so hard to finish that's referred to as a gym shoe. Huh. You know <laughs> what? I've never heard that before. All right. Well, this year there's been an outrageous criminal or group of criminals in Japan's Kyoto prefecture that are just stealing people's shoes. Hmm. Sandals, gym shoes, whatever. They were all being plucked from these entryways and temples and all sorts of places. And eventually it became such a problem that the police were called in to figure out who the bandit was. And you're wondering, like, why are the Yakuza or the street kids stealing everybody's shoes? So they decided to, you know, put together a stakeout, and then the police realized the culprits were actually a pair of foxes. (laughs) So for some reason, foxes love shoes. Like, they just have this instinct to stock up on what's around and put it in their burrow. And so their den was like this storehouse of other people's shoes. I mean, it's so funny. But what's interesting is that it isn't peculiar to these foxes. Apparently, foxes in Germany and I think England, they've been caught doing the very same thing. (laughs) So here's a weird one. A scientist in India is trying to determine whether smelling someone's shoes can reduce or control epilepsy attacks. And from his preliminary study, and he wants you to know these are just early findings, the subjects in his study who smelled shoes seem to have shorter attacks than those who abstained from smelling their shoes. You know, I mean, that's interesting, but I have to know, like, why was he even testing this? I know. I, I have so many questions. Like, how smelly do the shoes have to be? Yeah. And how long do you have to smell them for? And <laughs> apparently it comes from this old wives' tale he was testing out, but he's hoping to do more neuroimaging studies in the future to better understand the story here. All right. Well, here's a quick one. So I know we've covered the Adidas and Puma rivalry years ago, and you probably remember that the firms were built by these two hyper-competitive brothers. 
But at one point, the antagonism between the brands got so bad that their German town became known as the town of Bent Necks. Apparently, there was such a crazy rivalry and such hostility between the brothers and their employees that you would look down at another person's shoes to see what brand they were wearing before you decided to engage them in any sort of conversation. That's pretty crazy. So want to know a life hack that doesn't work that well? I mean, I I guess so. It sounds like you're going to tell me either way. Yeah. So try using pork chops for shoes. Oh, okay. So in 1997, this guy, Ross Lukak in uh, Australia, somehow won this pub raffle where he got a meat tray. Hmm. You know how you win a meat tray every now and then. And he's been drinking for a long while. And that's obviously when all the great ideas hit you. And somewhere along the way, he decided not to wear his shoes. So the people at the bar tell him, you know, if you want to win this meat tray, you've got to put some shoes on. Right. So That's Ross, an old saying, right? If you want to win the meat tray, you got to put some Australian shoes on. Saying. Right. So Ross, being an ideas guy, obviously, he, he finds some duct tape. He uh, he straps some pork chops from this meat tray on his feet. And then, he, uh, and then he claims his prize. Wow. And then he goes about continuing his night, just playing pool and drinking more. But here's why you don't just slap meat shoes on. Because meat juice gets on the floor. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) And obviously people can slip on this. And and a few games of pool later, like the floors were so greased up that his best friend slipped on the juice and broke his arm. I mean, I know we share a lot of interesting facts here on Part-Time Genius, or I like to think we do, but it's good to know that sometimes we give these meaningful life (laughs) lessons. So now you know it's best not to wear meat shoes in a pool hall. So, All right, well, here's a good story that I learned about from Futility Closet. In 1945, this actor named Conrad Canson passed away. And he left behind about a quarter of a million dollars in this trust. And the trust was specifically dedicated to buy shoes for down-on-their-luck actors. So as he put it in his will, many times I've been on my uppers, and the thinner the soles were, the less courage I had to face the managers in looking for a job. And what's crazy is this fund still exists from 1945 to today. So you have to be unemployed, belong to a performing arts union, And you can only apply once every few years, but if you need shoes, they'll give you $40 to reimburse toward any pair as long as it isn't over $100. Oh, I really love that. So I'd never heard of the Empathy Museum before, but I'm kind of in love with it. It's in London, and one of their exhibits is all about empathizing with other people, whether that's prisoners or refugee children or people who are trying to rediscover love in their 80s. And, And one of the ways they've tried to foster empathy is with this exhibit called Walk a Mile in Someone Else's Shoes. Hmm. You're literally handed someone else's shoes, but you also get this audio recording. And as you walk a mile, you hear and feel someone struggle. And I just think that's such a moving idea, and I, I think our world could use a little more empathy. That is a great story, yeah. And and that is why, Mango, I think I'm going to give you today's prize. I know it's been hard for you losing so many of these in a row, and, 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 and I feel bad for that. But, but I'm not giving you the trophy for that reason. You've actually earned it today, so congratulations. Well, I guess I'll accept it then. <laughs> I know we've talked a lot about shoes today and shared a lot of different facts. I'm sure there's some great ones that we forgot, and we would love to hear those from you, as we always do. You can email us, parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com. Or call us on our 24-7 Fact Hotline. That's 866-PT-GENIUS. Or as always, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. But thanks so much for listening. (music) 
Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.